Hi, you're listening to WRBH Radio 88.3 FM. This is your host of New Orleans by Mouth, Chef Amy Sins. And here in the studio with me today, I have my buddy James Collier, who is a um, photographer. And I met him actually at Chef Summer Camp. So (laughs) thanks for coming, James. Hey, Chef. Thanks for having me. So... For my listeners out there, yes, I do go to Chef Summer Camp, and I got this really cool invite last year to go uh, to summer camp, and it literally, like, we stayed in a summer camp, didn't we? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, but like, think summer camp for kids because we were in tiny little bunk beds, and uh. it, it was it was fun. But you know, there's something about getting everybody together who loves food, whether they're photographers, they're chefs, they're grocery store owners and just have all that common bond is food you learn so much about people and about how they see food oh for sure it's uh it's skill sharing at its best because we're sharing what everybody loves which is food absolutely and one of the things that we got to do while we were at camp was um we met a fisherwoman from uh alaska who i'm actually going to see this fall i'm very oh, excited but uh, we did a lot of over-the-fire cooking with fish that she caught, and I thought that was just such a fun topic to bring James in the studio to talk about fishing and eating fish and catching fish and living here in South Louisiana. And when he got here, y'all, he was like, oh, I do all my fish catching from a kayak. <laughs> so I thought, well, that's even more fascinating. <laughs> so let's talk about this, James. How did this happen? <laughs> uh, all right. Well, for, to start off, I am new to this. Uh, I, I am from northwest Louisiana, but a long, long time ago, grew up on Caddo Lake and in Shreveport and then moved away. Uh, and I came back from New York last summer. I, I decided to move back south, wanted to try living in New Orleans. And on my way from New York, I stopped in North Carolina and asked my dad if I could take my grandfather's old Piro. So fiberglass Piro, my grandfather fished out of it for 40 years. He can't do that anymore because of his back. Also, he's 93. Um, so my dad said, yeah, sure, take it as long as we use it. You had it strapped to, like, the roof of the car. and <laughs> I, I mean, uh, I need it was, the visual. It was inside of a U-Haul uh, trailer on top of all of my furniture. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and P-Rows aren't that big. You know, it's only maybe 16 inches tall and, and 30 inches wide. But uh, uh, so I got down here, and, I mean, I've never actually fished out of a P-Row. We always had, like, a John boat or a bass boat. And uh, so I just... Started finding little bodies of water, asking around, hey, where would you take a kayak? Um, and uh, started around the city and then uh, eventually ended up down in the marsh uh, out, out of Hopedale and out of Reggio and Delacro, um, which I pronounced Delacroix for at least the first two Absolutely. months. Um and uh, I got addicted to it. Uh, I guess the joke is that I got hooked. Um, actually, <laughs> <laughs> my uh, one day I was just out kind of relaxing and was just out there. I hadn't caught anything doing this yet, and I hooked a 27-inch uh, redfish. Ooh. And uh, so that's what I, I thought I was bass fishing. And uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm proud of it, but I, I was able to get it in the boat and— uh, Took it home, cleaned it, cooked it, and was immediately uh, obsessed with learning how to catch more. Um, so I spent a lot of time on the water. I eventually upgraded to one of the fancy fishing kayaks in December. And uh, I spend, I'd say, one to two days a week out there. 
Well, so let's talk about this, okay. this whole fishing thing, because fishing, you know, fishing from the shore or fishing offshore is a little bit different. You know, maybe you're standing and casting. Sure. Okay. And so for my, le- James is not a, a short guy. Like he's a tall guy. He's a big guy. So I can only imagine my husband's 6'6". And if I told him, get in the kayak, try, like it would be fun to just time him getting in and out, but get in the kayak. And then you have to kind of change the way that you fish. Like it's awkward. It moves a little bit more. Sure. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't have the comforts of a boat and you're very restricted on how much you can bring with you, how much you can move around. Uh, one of the reasons I, I, I invested in the fishing kayak is because I can actually stand up in it. I'm not 6'6", six, six, but I am 6'1". I'm not a small guy. Uh, I'm able to stand up in it, stretch my legs out, starting to get comfortable fishing standing up. Uh, but Because you started sitting down? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, these these new ones, that you know, they have pedals in them, so I'm not, like, using my upper body strength to get around them. It's just like, uh-huh. like a casual bike ride out through the water. Um, I mean, it's a very hot bike ride this time of year, but uh, uh, allows for a lot more mobility, so I can go around. I'm mostly fishing for redfish this time of year, and um, but in the in the winter, was catching a lot of trout and caught some bass and flounder and a little bit. Of, I mean, the water here has just about everything. everything. So, have you found that um, with the the water coming down the Mississippi River, is that changing what you're catching or what you're seeing in in the areas where you're fishing? So I, I won't say that it's changing or really had an effect on me or my fishing. I've also only been fishing for the last year. I've talked to a lot of guys that will tell you, you know, that it does have an impact. But um, when you're looking at maybe a span of 20 years, there's a lot of things that are contributing to some factors, too. The the thing is, though, is that a lot of guys who know what they're doing are still catching their limits very consistently. Um, I mean, the, the fishing reports that come in, especially on the Facebook groups and stuff like people, people catch a lot of fish down here. Well, I feel like it's it's quite the community. And uh, you know, I had a, the pest control guy that came to my house two weeks ago. I'm talking to him and he goes, oh, yeah, my son runs Hopedale Marina. And you start to realize, like, everybody is still all in one big giant family. But I feel like the people who are out on the water, you kind of start to know each other, like your neighbors, because you are passing by two days a week. So are you learning things? Are you meeting interesting people? What are you seeing out there? Yeah, so it, it is a, uh, a tight community. I wouldn't say it's a small one because a lot of people down here fish, which is a fun element of it that I can strike up a conversation with just about anybody, and they have a relationship to this. Uh, but yeah, I've met I've met quite a few people out on the water. Um, I've seen you know you start to recognize the same truck at the same marina, and you're like, all right, we're we're out in the same area. You may not see each other on the water, but um, I mean, I've met a, I met another photographer one time out in one of my favorite spots. Uh, meet guys from just all all walks of life out there. Uh, And yeah, I mean, I I think think for the most part, it's a very uh, collaborative, not collaborative, but uh, the community is very helpful. If you ask, you can ask questions. I mean, the first time I uh, fished out of Hopedale, actually, I met another kayaker. I didn't know where I was going to go. I was just just going to try. I'd heard of this marina that had a kayak launch. And uh, and he, he said, well, have you ever fished out of here? I said, no, no, it's my first time. And he said, well, do you want to follow me? I'll show you where I caught him last week. Oh, how cool. And, uh, you know, just and very immediate, supportive. Yeah, very supportive. And, and we still text and, and plan trips together to this day um, because of that relationship that we were able to 
form. And um, I found that to be, especially with the kayaking community and, and um, but it, just in general, the fishing community down here, the, especially the recreational fishers, um, yeah, they share information. You know, some people like to keep their secrets. They don't want to... <laughs> tell you exactly where the honey hole is but no, you can't. Um, but they'll tell you you, yeah. give it, you give them a little nibble somewhere else so. yeah yeah and they'll give you pointers <laughs> for how to learn to read the water to find your own so well as a photographer you know being on a boat and and fishing and or, or a kayak um are you feeling like you're more up close and personal with the subjects that you're photographing are you seeing that you're getting better pictures or more interesting pictures I'm very up close and personal. Uh, I I didn't photograph on the water much before. I mean, a lot of my background comes out of food and agriculture. And um, so this has been a fun transition for me. But I always have the camera with me in the boat. And uh, I do like to c- capture what I catch. But also just being out there, I'm starting to do a little bit more of the, the wildlife stuff. And uh, just the other day, you know, was 15 foot, feet away from a gator. So I was taking a photo of him uh, or her. Um yeah, I mean that that is astounding that we can just be so like silently in in that place like like very minimal footprint in a kayak. Uh it doesn't disturb the water, it really doesn't make much sound. And you can kind of sneak up on Yeah, so you can just kind of ease into things, yeah. So especially on a calm day, it, it 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 is so peaceful out there. Well, so for my listeners out there when James got in and you know, I'm looking at the pictures and the photos and he has such cool stuff on his his website Paprika Studios, but he goes, "But I'm into this gator thing." <laughs> And I was like, oh, well, let's talk about this gator because Amy needs a new pair of gator shoes. And so James has this idea that he's going to he's going to get a gator. So I was like, don't tell me any more about this idea. We have to save it for air. So, James, what is this crazy North Louisiana guy uh, idea about catching a gator in the swamp? All right. I should disclose that I grew up hunting more than fishing, uh, but mostly, you know, deer. My family hunts and eats squirrel, uh, turkey, and some other birds. But um, I've been curious about hunting down here. Uh, the gator hunting program is very tightly controlled from what I've understood, but the state has a lottery program. And so I just submitted for this lottery program and, and, uh, I have no idea how good my odds are of even getting drawn, but, but if I'm selected, uh, I chose a piece of water that I fished a little bit, uh, down in Terrebonne Parish and point us in, and, uh, I would be given three tags for gators. Um, again, I, I don't have a boat. I only have the kayak and the Piro. So, I'm not exactly sure how it would happen, but I'm I'm thinking that I could hunt out of the kayak and use the Piro to hold gear or maybe a gator. I don't know how I would get it into the Piro. I have seen a photo of a man with a 12-foot-plus gator strapped to the front of his kayak. So I know it can be it done. It can be done. Okay. Because in my mind, my vision was like, okay, you get one really nasty fight in redfish and it's like, you might yeah. you might get a little ride, right? They call and, it the Cajun sleigh ride. <laughs> yes, the Cajun sleigh ride. I'm going to steal that. But I'm thinking, okay, that's like, you know, a redfish. This is a gator, James, a gator. Like, well, I'm not fishing for it. I'm not trying to. I, I know, but... <laughs> But but you're you're getting something as big as your boat yes. in some cases. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying I have the logistics for this worked out. 
<laughs> the first step was applying for the lottery program. So we'll we'll see what comes next. Okay. Uh, well, so I will say that if you get to go get this gator, I would like to be along <laughs> for the ride and okay. to witness this. And as long as I get a pair of shoes out of it, okay. Sure. <laughs> We'll have to find the. You, you might have to, to help me cook this. it too. So okay, yeah. we'll call Nathan Richard because he's like a professional at the gator thing, and we'll I'll just uh, set the table and, and uh, tend the fire, and right, <laughs> we'll let Nathan do all the work of breaking that <laughs> down that gator. But um, I think it would be fun, and I think it would be a great photography opportunity. I agree, um, and maybe I could learn a few tricks and. For my listeners out there, one of the things I asked James was, you know, if you look at James's website and part of what I love is it documents some of the behind the scenes in food, you know, the farmland, the water, the people, the the stuff that is happening that is bringing food to the table. And as home cooks or travelers and people who are out in the world visiting, trying to have a better understanding we're documenting every day, whether it's on our Instagram or our Facebook or our iPhones. And one of the things that I notice is if I'm traveling and I just have my iPhone, every picture is like the same direction or the same angle. Because one day I must have shot a perfect picture, you know, with my right hand over it from this angle. And now I know, okay, I can get a good shot with that. How do we get better <laughs> pictures and better documenting of what is happening in our life while also still kind of experiencing the moment? Sure. Yeah. So I, I think that uh, the two common mistakes that people make in taking a photo, especially when it comes to food, is they either don't have good light. So this is why you see a lot of people, we like to use a window. It's just if you can put a plate of food, just about any plate of food right next to a window is going to look much prettier um, or the, it's just not an interesting photo period I mean not everything looks great a burger from the top doesn't look great um, and it's really hard to capture its magnificence maybe <laughs> from the side um, but also it looks like a burger so maybe we don't have to have that photo I mean there's there's photos for our own memory and then there's photos that we take to share um, so either find good light for it or look for something that's more interesting it may not be the burger on a plate or, or whatever the dish is it might be step you know just like zooming out a little bit further um, like the it, whole dining room with the burgers on the plate or it might be the whole spread with your friends reaching in and you know and and um, uh, I mean, there's there's always more to a scene than than that plate. Um, I personally really like to capture stuff that happens before the food is finished on the plate. I mean, I love being in a kitchen, a home kitchen, a restaurant kitchen. Um, I'll go as far as to the to the root of where the food comes from. Um, I've been on farms for animal slaughters. I hunt and I document that. Um, done a lot of work in agriculture. I love seeing intersections of people and food at at that source. Um, that's not something that ever, all of us can can do, but sometimes you can get that. You can just ask me like, hey, can I see what this looks like back there? Um, and, you know, get a photo of the, the line prep uh, as it's going up, you know. There's, there's other shots. There's other shots to look for um, to, to tell the story of, you know, 
part of that is, is knowing what it is that you want to share and why. Um, if you're just trying to brag that you're at a certain <laughs> restaurant, which is which is a valid reason. We all do it. I do it. Um, then then all you want is that plate. But, you know, if you really want to capture the essence of a, a place or a um yeah, a certain ambiance, then then you want to show more. Well, I, I like how you said, you know, tell the story. And is I, I kind of feel like there's a point where, yeah, we're bragging. We're excited. We're in the moment. We're like, we're doing this. This is super cool. Let's tell everybody. But then, you know, I'll get back from a trip and I'll go through all the millions of pictures I didn't share. And you start to realize that's what tells the story Mm. that one moment you shared is not the story that was a brief moment in time but when you start to see this collection of how things went and how the week materialized and start to finish you realize it is a story so should we maybe be more selective and better curate what we're sharing with the world I think that a large part of storytelling is curating. Uh, it's it's learning to edit down from a collection of images. Um, I mean, in a given day, I might I can take a couple thousand photos if I'm on an assignment, um, but I I would only want somebody to see, you know, a couple dozen of those because um, I, I want to narrow that down. It's overwhelming otherwise if, to share that many images and, and people won't understand the memories attached to them. Uh, but if we can edit that down for them, then they start to see what that experience really looked and felt like. Well, whenever you said I take thousands of images, you know, one of the things that I noticed just yesterday, you know, I made this the Spanish dish and I start taking pictures of it. And then when I go to decide which picture I'm going to post, I'm like, oh, my God, I have like 30 pictures. How do I decide which one? When do I just like go? I have too many pictures of this one hamburger of 10 (laughs) different directions. I'm never going to use this picture again. How do we let go Mm. of what those photos are of all our food memories in our iPhones and on our computers. <laughs> you might be asking the wrong person there. I'm terrible at deleting. I'm good at the editing down my selection, but the the old photos still remain. Uh, I mean, my my iPhone fills up once a year, no matter what size I get, um, and that's just from like phone photos. But uh, yeah, I've got stacks and stacks of hard drives from personal travels and personal projects and then all that my we client never work. Look at again. Yeah, I know. It's it's. Uh, I mean, I I try to schedule time to go back through it all, but. It, it rarely, if ever, happens. You know, I remember as a kid, we would take a vacation or maybe it was Sunday dinner and we're cooking at my grandma's house and mom's, you know, snapping the camera and she gets the film developed and she would make us a photo album, mm. right? And we would actually sit and flip through that photo album. Yeah. And I, re- I realize now that we're not having those moments anymore. We will take our iPhone and we'll scroll and go, oh, look at this, look at this. But, you know, as a photographer, how do you feel about, like, kind of like writers? I want to touch the book. I want to feel the book. How do you feel about photographs in that way? Do you want to still hold the picture or are you cool on your computer? No, no, no. I think that uh, if a photo is really worth having, it's worth printing out. And there is nothing like being able to share that with somebody else. Um, I, I... have done this in the past where I, I just kind of will, uh, instead of sending an email or sending a holiday card or something, I'll, I'll 
take a photo and write the story like I would do in a Facebook post, but I'll write that on the back of it um, and I'll mail those out to friends as a way to just share. I love that. Either either share something that's happening in my life or if it's a shared experience that I had with them as a way to um, for us to to remember that. But there's there's nothing that's going to be a hand a, a print that you can hold in your hand. I mean, if you think about, it, we collect recipes in the same way. We can I can scroll on the internet and save all this all these recipes all day long. But um, but seeing the dish in person, like cooking that recipe, is really and holding the recipe card. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's in there's, someone's handwriting. There has to be a tactile experience for it to really stick with you. Um, and so, yeah, uh, holding that photo, being able to, even if it, it doesn't have to be something that you put in a frame, but, you know, having that somewhere um, pinned up to the refrigerator Your or to a Facebook wall. Your own wall? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Your wall of photos? <laughs> yeah. That bring, I mean, it, it constantly brings joy to, to be able to do that. I have, a, I have a printer in my house for that very reason so that I can print something, especially when it's been, you know, like a personal shoot or something that I did with friends um, just to hold on to that memory. I love that. And, you know, I I love the idea of sharing it, whether it's a food memory or you're curating a story about, you know, life and things that are happening. There's something about sharing in a more personal way that is really great. And I think that is why food brings us together, too. You know, yeah. you realize you're sharing in a more personal way. So we only have a little bit of time, but I have a very important question for you. If you're catching all of these fish, first of all, one, why haven't you offered me any? <laughs> and two, what are you cooking oh, with them? Okay. So uh, this is one of my favorite things to explore here right now is learning how to cook all of this fish. Uh, the trout are really mild, so those are they fry up really well, cook them whole on the grill. Um, but the redfish is what I, I'm most often catching. And uh, I actually have found it to be a very versatile fish. It's a little oilier. Um, it's a little meatier, a little denser. Uh, but any recipe that I found for cod or for salmon, I can convert for redfish. So um, cook them uh, with people down here call on the half show where you yeah. just leave the scales on, throw them on the grill like that. And uh, I actually got my, my grandfather to cook it that way. Uh, he said it was the first time he had eaten redfish with the skin on. Oh, wow. And he, <laughs> he was funny. He was like, you know what? He was like, you're right. That's where the flavor is. <laughs> uh, and that's after 93 years of doing it in a different way. But um, I've been experimenting making, like, redfish burgers. Uh, it uh, makes, no, I had, like, a, like a cake. A yeah, yeah, cake. yeah. Like okay. a, yeah. Um, making... Uh, it's just smoking it and making like a dip with it. Yes. Delicious. Uh, it, it holds smoke very, very well. Um, and just I'll fillet it and sear it, eat that with some wild rice. And I don't need Delicious. much else, honestly. <laughs> Squeeze a lemon. Yeah. It's, you know, I love, we are so spoiled here. And I find that we have access to so much. Right now, I'm like big fan of snapper. It's sure. like my happy place right now with snapper season um, and curing it. And, uh, you know, using this, like, cured snapper, cured pompano just on a charcuterie plate or as a snack. But I love the redfish because of its hardiness mm -hmm. and that it can stand up to just about anything. And uh, it is so versatile. Just recently, I had the opportunity to eat barracuda oh. because I said, well, if I'm going to catch it, I'm going to eat it. And I fought that barracuda for quite some time to get it into the boat. So it was going on the grill. 
And I was like, wow, this is delicious. And you start to realize that when you're getting fresh fish from the right waterways and it's cooked the right way, that some of these fish that people would throw back Mm -hmm. or say, oh, no, we don't want to eat that are truly delicious. It's one of the things I found really interesting at some of these fishing groups that I've I've joined since coming down here last year, uh, that just about any fish you can name down here, freshwater, brackish water, saltwater, one person will tell you it's trash fish and another person <laughs> will tell you that's the best eating that there is. Um, so it's it's all about learning to just try it yourself, really. Um, is there any that you're like, yeah, no, I tried that, I'm good? Not yet, but I, I'm I'm pretty open-minded when it comes to these things. <laughs> I, there are only a couple of things on my list, and my listeners know this. I say it all the time that I never like. I'm I'm allergic in quotes uh-huh. to, and one is beets. I try to love beets. I can't love them. Wow. But sea cucumber, which is not indigenous to mm, this area, okay. I don't ever need to eat that again. You um, tried it though. I have tried it. I don't I even know that I could. I don't know that I could get to trying that one. I would say that I had a um, cuttlefish dish when I was in Sicily. That I don't need to have that particular okay. dish ever again. Yep. But I haven't given up on cuttlefish. Okay. So uh, I also say if it's something that you're gonna try it three times, right? Oh. Before you completely try it deep fried at least <laughs> because everything deep fried is delicious. Sure. But so one of your three ways that you eat something, as long as one is deep fried, you can't really rule it out until you've tried it, you know, three different ways. I think that's fair. Yeah. Is there anything that you're hoping to catch besides an alligator? in the near future that you're really excited about? Well, you know, I'm, again, learning to adapt hunting to down here. I am interested to try the hog hunting down here because I know that that is actually a nuisance animal. And along those same lines, I have been learning more about the nutria population and the state's program to help control those as well. I think it's up to $6 It's up to $6 a tail. (laughs) I will say I'm not in it for the money. Uh, but I would. I'm, I watched a documentary, and uh, they compared the meat to rabbit, and it's, that's that's what piqued my interest. It's grassy like rabbit. Okay. Um. It's uh. It's fine. It's just you can't look at a picture of it before right. you eat it. Yeah, I've mentioned this to a few friends, and they they just cringe at the idea that you would eat that. But yeah. you know. Well, we're doing what we can to protect the Louisiana environment. So <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> we do what we <laughs> have to do. But, well, for my listeners out there, James, tell people where they can find out more about you, where they can follow your adventures, see sure. your photos, all that good stuff. Yeah, my uh, my website is paprikastudios.com, um, or they can follow me on Instagram. It's at James Collier. Well, awesome. Well, thank you for joining me in the studio. We had James Collier, who is a photographer with Paprika Studios and an outdoor enthusiast here in South Louisiana. I will keep you posted if we get to go out on a gator um, adventure. But you've been listening to WRBH Radio 88.3 FM. This is your host of New Orleans by Mouth, Chef Amy Sins. Until next time, ciao.